Well, it's lovely to be with you again. Let's uh, just pray for God's illumination on this uh, passage. Holy Spirit, would you speak to us through this uh, reading from a, a different age and make it relevant to us today and uh, challenge us and help us in our healing journey, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wonder if you could uh, put a, a slogan or a, a motto over yourself that summed up the guiding principle of your life, what it would be. Of course, one phrase that's very popular nowadays is, be true to yourself. You won't find it in the Bible, but you will find it in that other source of so many turns of phrase in the English language. If we could have the first uh, slide on. Sorry, I forgot to bring up of paper with the slide changes, so I will let you know. There we are. To thine own self be true, says Polonius to his son in Shakespeare's Hamlet. I know that because I looked it up on Google. <laughs> I have no idea who Polonius is at all. As I grew up in there, which was the 1950s, a slogan that was always being spoken over me was, you look after the pennies and the pounds will look after themselves. Or the related one, neither a borrower nor a lender be. That, of course, was before credit, but when higher purchase was the thing that was damaging a lot of people's lives. Of course, both those phrases can be made to mean whatever you want them to mean, really. Uh, I think you look after the pennies has always stuck with me, and I've had a ten tendency always to seek out the cheapest option, uh, and then quite often live to regret it. <laughs> if my father-in-law was asked to sum me up in one phrase, he'd, he'd probably say without hesitation, oh, James, special offer. <laughs> And of course, that phrase, avoiding borrowing or lending on a personal level so easily can make us mean, can't it? Stuck in our own little self-sufficient bubble, unwilling to help others or seek their help. But what does that phrase mean, being true to yourself? Does it mean true to your feelings? If it feels good, do it, whatever it is. Does it mean true to, to your principles? And if so, where do your principles come from? True to your, your I don't know, your, your place in society, what we used to call your, your class or whatever. True to your own best interests. Um, being authentic, again, whatever that means. Or true to the way your parents brought you up. Or true to your political allegiance. What does it mean? Let's have that. Uh, oh, we've got that next slide up. That's good. Put yourself in Joseph's position if you can. Looking back over his life story, he's been his father's favorite son. He's also been the victim of vindictive cruelty by his 11 brothers who've sold him to slave traders because they're so jealous and because they're fed up with what they see as his proud attitude because of his, those prophetic dreams he had. Now he's up for sale a second time in Egypt, one slave among many, and he's bought by 
a high-ranking official, maybe the highest-ranking official in either Pharaoh's army or his prison service for a, a prestigious job, at least as slave jobs go. And although this happened nearly four millennia ago now, I don't think it's too hard to imagine uh, quite a bit about Potiphar's lifestyle and household because it's not really so very different from a modern-day high-ranking government official. The pharaoh was allowed, uh, alone, to have several wives, but in the rest of Egyptian culture, marriage meant one man and one woman. And we can imagine uh, Mrs. Potiphar uh, in that household, whatever, her natural beauty to have been a a glammed-up lady and the kind of lady whatever Mrs. Potiphar wants, Mrs. Potiphar gets. Back to Joseph again. His, his model for manhood had been a father who was a cheat, who had in turn been cheated, if you remember the story of Jacob and, and Lot, and as a result ended up with two wives. And then both wives encouraged him in turn to go to bed with their servant girls. And he grew up reading between the lines with really quite a superiority complex. Wouldn't you having praise and special presents lavished on you by your father, knowing that of his four sleeping partners, your mum was your dad's favourite too, and then having dreams that seemed to confirm that you deserved uh, being bowed and scraped too. So you've got that, and then the resentment of being thrown down a well by your brothers ganging up on you. And then being sold to foreign traders, to be taken to a foreign land and sold again. Imagine, it's hard to imagine, isn't it, really, the the potential for bitterness and desire for revenge. I'll show them. And then maybe they didn't have mirrors of the quality we have nowadays, but maybe he was aware of his seductive good looks as well. But here he is in the grown-up world and his employer, close to the pharaoh himself, promotes Joseph until he is his number one servant. So he's had his self-esteem stoked and then destroyed and now stoked up again. What on earth will being true to himself mean for a man who's been through stuff like that? Imagine the thoughts that could be going through his head as Mrs. Potiphar rolls her eyes at him. Imagine him thinking, back home when I grew up, it was okay for the head of our household, my dad Jacob, this is Joseph speaking, not me, (laughs) to sleep with his servant girls and his wives approved. Well, this isn't really so very different. Yeah, I fancy this lady. She'd be quite a conquest. Or he could be thinking, well, this is a high-ranking, imperious lady, and I'm just a servant here. How can I say, no, I must be humble and do what she says? Or he could be thinking, I've been promoted up the ranks of the servants. After all I've been through, this will just be the cherry on the cake. If my brothers could see me now on that four-poster, I deserve this after the way I've been treated in life. Or as Mrs. Potiphar's advances get more insistent, why resist? Path of least resistance, Joseph. And you can always say, she made me. 
has our own self-esteem been raised or trodden on as we've matured? And how has that affected our sense of right and wrong, of what being true to ourselves means? We're living, aren't we, in an ever more secular society where truth is all relative. You have your truth, I have mine. I think it was almost the last time I was, I was standing here, two years ago, almost to the day, uh, and the passage was that bit in uh, the prophet Amos, where God shows Amos the plumb line. God holds the plumb line up and says, Amos, what do you see? And Amos says, a plumb line. <laughs> and of course, it's all about God saying, vertical is vertical. There are absolutes. Lots of folk around here, maybe you're among them, love taking sunset pictures from the beach. But it's so rare to see, so rare to see a photo posted on Facebook where the horizon is actually horizon tall. <laughs> Horizontal, isn't it? But plumb lines and coastal horizons, vertical and horizontal, there's no argument. They're God-givens. But all our outlooks, our self-esteem, our decisions, our attitudes, our morals can get tilted this way and that by how we were brought up, what life has done to us, or how we've responded. We all ultimately have to come to God and weigh our lives, our choices against what God wants. And all credit to Joseph, he seems to do just that. Potiphar's culture of Egyptian religion, which is sometime, some, uh, somewhat akin to Hinduism, with all its gods and spirits, he's aware of some higher power blessing everything that he puts under Joseph's care. Things that were disordered beforehand seem to be coming into order with Joseph there. His house is secure, his land is yielding good crops, his animals remain healthy, and it all seems to relate to whatever he entrusts to Joseph's oversight. Joseph asks himself, am I trustworthy? Am I worthy of both Potiphar's trust and God's trust? Yes, I'll ensure I am. That's what I live by. And that's what he tells Mrs. Potiphar as she chases him. And to check our own personal behavior and an outlook on life against God's, uh, God's plumb line or his, we could say his spirit level with a capital S. It can be helpful sometimes to stand back and look at our lives as though we're um, sort of coming out of our body and standing back and looking at ourselves and saying, now, what do I think of the way that that guy behaves or the things he says or the things that she does or so on? And sometimes that can really help us to look at the foundations or the roots of our own attitudes. This uh, last week, Steph's been one of our, with one of our children who lives up in the north of England. And it's actually given me opportunity in preparing for this sermon to think through ways I, I react to her and things I say which feel quite reasonable and normal to me normally when I'm in the house with her. And then being on my own, I think, Actually, James, do you know how you're coming over? <laughs> Need to do something about that. 
And this episode of Joseph's life here, of course, it's all about sexual behavior, but the same principle holds for attitudes to all sorts of things. Money, uh, our generosity, our, our courtesy to others, uh, the way we treat the environment, our thinking about gender and about race, work, family, uh, being equally uh, willing as we share our opinions to listen uh, carefully to the opinions of others. You name it. Sometimes people who are close to us may say something like, uh, excuse me, have you listened to yourself? Steph sometimes says, says that to me <laughs> when I'm pontificating. Well, C.S. Lewis thought it quite likely that Mrs. Potiphar was like a cracked gramophone record in her husband's ear. He'd heard it all before, and so he just puts Joseph in prison, where in that culture it'd been really rather more likely that he'd have had him killed. But whatever, Joseph could have added another layer of resentment, couldn't he, to his life experience and, and anger and bitterness and desire to fight back when he was imprisoned. But something's going on behind the scenes that God is faithful and God sees not just the bigger picture but actually an enormous picture because Joseph is, is one of the forebears of Jesus himself and God is concerned both to rescue uh, the Egyptian people, we'll be coming to that in a later chapter, but also his own, Joseph's own family for what God has in store for the world. Joseph carries on being faithful to God's calling, the vertical, vertical, the horizontal, horizontal. Joseph is ultimately to be the, the one who's going to pave the way for the saviour of the world. And we need that, that bigger picture mentality, don't we, when it seems we're punished for doing right. We need to hang on in there and stay faithful and trustworthy, not going thoughtlessly with the flow, but sometimes swimming against the tide and that can be hard in our in our day with you know the, the woke culture to say things that are not considered um, the right thing to say nowadays there are times to be quiet but sometimes times to speak up as well and i suggest now we just have a few moments of quiet to think of our own lives in the in the against the background of joseph here where we've we're facing temptations or we're, we're aware of injustices we're facing or, or old ones or controlling personalities or even just things parents said to us when we were growing up. I think, what would Joseph do? Or even more to the point, what would Jesus do? Let's just be quiet for a moment. And Holy Spirit, would you speak to, speak to us all just make us aware of things in our lives that have had an influence on us, that have a continuing influence on us. Where we need to be unshackled and to be free. Be the people you are calling us to be.